Okay, everybody, we're back here for another episode of The Appraisal Guys. I'm Neil McLaughlin, and Ed, introduce yourself. And this is Ed Faco speaking, and tonight we have uh, the distinct honor of having Mr. John Vopel join us on this broadcast. And John, would you introduce yourself, please? Hi, I'm John Vopel. I'm here in Central Florida where I have my business, Vopel Claim Service. I spend most of my time doing umpire work. Um, probably 98% of my billing hours are, are, nine, uh, are doing umpire work and have been involved in the appraisal process for about 25 years. John, what got you started in not just insurance claims so heavy, but in appraisals in particular? Well, the first time I was asked to be in appraisals when I was a claim supervisor for American States Insurance and two appraisers asked me to to be their appraiser and I told them I couldn't. I work for an insurance company and and they kept saying, well, you know, this is a product of the insurance company. Why can't you do it? And I said, well, I'll run it up the line and confirm that they don't want me to do it. And they said it would be a great idea. You might learn something. So I did. I acted as the as the umpire in that matter. And, you know, a year or so later, somebody came back and said, hey, would you do another one? And yeah. And then the next year I had two or three. And then it's kind of gone up exponentially since then. And okay. this is while you're working for an Amer- the insurance carrier. Yes. American. What was his name? American States Insurance. American States Insurance. OK, so now let me ask you this. Since you have this broad range of experience in appraisal. And as people listening will understand, this is part of our Florida series where we're going up and down and around the state of Florida talking to people. Would you say there's more of an there was more of an old boy network then, or is there more of an old boy network now in appraisal? Or is there even an old boy network in appraisals in Florida? Well, it's a closed community. It definitely is a closed community. And we talk about that in classes that I teach, that you know, if if you do somebody wrong, it usually gets around. But I think in the old days, there were certainly less players in the game. So it may have been an old boy network back then. Um, and I'm talking about 20 years ago um, when there weren't so many people and uh, appraisers. Uh, the appraisal process wasn't as well known within the industry or to even public adjusters. Right. Now, That's when have you? When did you see a market increase in appraisals start happening in the state of Florida? When did it start springboarding out? Well, actually, it started before then. It started in, in, in when Hurricane Andrew hit, and that's when the springboard will hit. Um, and then we had the notorious 2004-2005 hurricane season, where in 2004 we had uh, Charlie, Francis, Gene, and Ivan and then in 2005, we had Wilma, and of course, you had Katrina on, on the on the Gulf Coast. And Katrina also did a little damage in South Florida. Um, and it was at that point, the day after Charlie, which was which hit on on Friday the 13th of wow. August. Wow! I made my decision that I really didn't want to act as an appraiser anymore. I wanted to exclusively be an umpire. I have friends that can be an appraiser and an umpire. I just personally don't feel comfortably feel comfortable doing that. And so I only act as an umpire. I don't become an advocate for either side. Okay. So as an umpire then, how do you, uh, because you've been around for a while and you've been around in this industry, 
how do you differentiate and how do you make the distinction between someone that you're golfing with on Tuesday and you're named on his umpire uh, uh, panel on Wednesday? How do you turn that off between your personal and professional? We know it can be done. What, what are some of your tips on how to do that? Because if it is a closed community, it's going to happen again and again and again. Sure. And, and, and you know, I went to high school three miles from here at Boone High School. I went to college at Florida Technical, Technological University, which is now University of Central Florida. And there's a lot of people. Good football that go, team. Oh, yes, now it is. <laughs> And I've lived in this community for well over 40 years, well, probably 50 years. And, you know, I, I do know a lot of people through business, personal, and so on down the line. I will tell you and, and be most be perfectly honest with you, you know, I say a prayer before I go into every appraisal myself, and I say, you know, I ask God to give me the wisdom to, to to conclude this appraisal the right way. That's my my technique. Have you lost any friends over appraisal decisions you've done? Not that I know of. Not that I know of. You know, every once in a while, you somebody hasn't called you in a while. You don't know if it's the carrier that may have said something, somebody else has said something, or they've you know, found somebody else they prefer to work with. Maybe I charge too much, too little. I don't know. But, you know, I personally look at it is after I sign an award, I don't look back and try to second guess myself. Okay. And you can always do that if you want to. But, you know, I, I feel that we have done a, as a panel a real service to our to both the policyholder and the insurance company. The alternative and appraisal is an alternative dispute resolution method. It's an alternative to a lawsuit. And a lawsuit is picking the next six people that walk out of McDonald's or some restaurant, other restaurant, and have them decide what the amount of damages there are. Yes. And how does three people with expert knowledge better than 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 that jury well i say it you know it's infinitely better than a jury decision okay well we hear a lot about especially in the recent very recent history of florida how things have changed with some legislation and stuff like that i'd like to know about the theoretical i i hear i see weird articles about the gamesmanship going on in appraisal mm -hmm. what is the quote-unquote gamesmanship that is being deployed as tactics here in Florida. Oh, you always see somebody trying to one-up or play Perry Mason. Um, I call it appraisal by ambush mm -hmm. tactics. And, you know, somebody at the last second comes into an appraisal meeting with the umpire and says, boom, you got this to think about. And, and I, as the umpire, try to control that. Uh, we kind of know who likes to play in that field. And we try to stop it by by setting parameters. Um, you know, my initial letter that I send out when I'm assigned an appraisal hopefully sets the stage uh, of what's to be done. You know, when one appraiser, you know, fails to, you know, exchange information with the others, I, I, I will facilitate it and say, well, send it to both of you, send it to me. And when I have both appraisers, information, I'll exchange it. You know, there's always little quirks and stuff that you can work around. Uh, 
you've got to have a mind towards resolution and getting this thing done. I mean, eventually this thing has to be resolved. It's put in our lap and except for some issues like coverage, as you know, has to be decided by the court. We're there to determine the damages. We do that. We, pre we pre present our award. They can go on to the next step, whatever that next step may be. Okay, so your your job, you look at it as just getting the getting the train on the tracks and getting it moving on down the tracks. Yes, sir. And that brings me to our next question. How do you feel about? We get a lot of questions from our audience about memorandum and agreements between the two appraisers. This could be before the umpire even gets involved. The umpire is usually named, but then they want to start looking, sending each other, or one side wants to send the other side memorandum, which isn't required in the appraisal clause or even in addressed in most appraisal clauses. What's your thoughts on that? That's very true. You know, of course, we all sign a, a declaration of appraiser and selection of umpire form. By tradition, it's not required in the in the in the policy either. But a memorandum of an appraisal, and I know that many people have several different excuses why they don't want, don't want to sign them. But I will give you an example of, of one I had today. Uh, there is a church in a, in a state not other than Florida, and the two appraisers have now, are disagreeing on what's to be appraised, and apparently they're talking about some pre-existing damages, and they are talking about some uncovered issues that one feels is uncovered. If the parties would say, we want an award and we want it lined out in these different categories, the damage to the roof, the damage to the walls, the mold damage, um, anything, and I'm not privileged to all the information, but I'm seeing these emails flying back and forth. And in this particular claim, I referenced them to my initial letters, which says, hopefully the parties have signed a, a, a memorandum of, of appraisal. And I emphasize it has to be done by the parties, not the adjusters. And it would outline what is to be appraised, the basis of the appraisal with this RCV or ACV. Uh, are there any limitations that need to be expressed? And specifically, what line items would, would how would you like it to, to be expressed? That way, they can take that award to the court and say, Your Honor, they have paid for one, two, five, and six, but they didn't pay for the other ones. They say there's no coverage. We sue on that. The, the, the amount of damages has been liquidated for those amounts. So all they have to do is determine the coverage. So now in insurance policies that do not address it any version of a memorandum, and most don't. I've never seen one that did. Farmers comes close to hitting on some things in, in the Illinois version of their policy. It has a four-page four insurance clause. And, and and does citizens of Florida. Okay. I'm sorry. So they come close. It doesn't define your duties, but it, it approaches the things that other insurance appraisal clauses do not. Now, what I've found, my own personal experience, is that if I wanted to build a memorandum on or achieving a goal, I'm representing the policyholder in most most common fashion as when I'm an appraiser. I would like to make sure that everything's going to get addressed. If coverage has been extended, that to me, in my in my mind's eye, that means that the claim is open for any damage that's to be discovered over there and the value of that damage. 
I would be hard pressed to get many opposing appraisers on the other side to want to agree to a memorandum like that. So you, a lot of times you're flying by the seat of your pants and it's left wide open. You're still arguing that all throughout. And as a second issue on that, I'm, I'm real, sort of reverting back to your beginning. When you address, when you're first assigned as the umpire, um, do you require the appraisers to include you in the emails back and forth, even though you're not engaged as the umpire yet? You're, you're the selected assignee, but not engaged yet. No, I don't. I, I do set up a file when I find when I receive the selection of umpire form, I establish a file. If I'm copied on the emails, that's fine. I I and I monitor them if I am. If I'm if six months later it's resolved, I simply just close my file. Mm -hmm. I don't bill them because I haven't done anything towards the resolution mm -hmm. of the matter. Um, I don't require them to to keep to to copy me in on everything but i um i do ask that they let me know when the claim is resolved if right. i'm not going to be in use so, so i can close my so file you can close it yeah and just a reminder again everybody we're speaking with mr john volpel he's also a trainer for the windstorm conference in the area of appraisal and umpire um there's been some talk in Florida now where uh, I think believe one of our uh, the other people we were speaking with mentioned a Saunders case or Sanders case. Did that have to do with uh, uh, getting paid for appraisers now having appraisers getting paid as a uh, contingency or getting a percentage as opposed to the hourly rate? What do you normally see here that come across your desk as an experienced umpire? There, there's been a trend and a while back there was a court case that said, uh, the appraiser for the ins for the insured could work on a contingency. I I've never seen an appraiser for the uh, carrier work on anything but an hour. But they said, they said that they could work on a contingency if they disclosed it. And quite frankly, I just assumed that they were all along. I mean, they didn't need to disclose it because that was the normal way of getting paid. And then one of the major carriers started uh, fighting it more and more, saying that they weren't independent. And so the courts are diverse now, and they'll probably go to the Supreme Court. The, the, the appellate courts are, are diverse on it, and it'll probably go to the, um, uh, the Supreme Court sometime. I have to tell you, as an experienced umpire, I know that you represent the carrier and I know you represent the insured. And I don't think any of that is really relevant to, to the amount of damages. It's just fluff to me personally. So how they get paid really doesn't concern you. No. And to me, it sort of seems like a, that's part of the games which have also going on. Yes. And, fighting and over a word. I think sometimes that the legal community gets involved in these things to the point that it slows down the purpose of this, and that was to be an alternative dispute resolution that was a quick way of resolving these matters, and, rather than dragging it into the, and less less costly. Thank you, and and also clear up the court dockets so the cases that are going to litigation have a chance to move forward as well. As we've spoken to some judges, and they 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 are all about alternative dispute resolution. They don't feel it's competition to them at all. They're fine with it. I will say, I think the best method 
of resolving it is through uh, through mediation where the the actual insured and insurance company can talk and agree with it. Short of that, this is the second best, and I I, I think it is so far above trying a matter and getting bogged down in in the legal system. It's just far above. Okay. Tell us a little bit about, we'll do, let's do a plug for Windstorm that you're affiliated with. Good. Tell us about your position at Windstorm, how you got affiliated with them, and, and what Windstorm has to offer people that attend their conference, which is coming up, I believe. End of this month, yes, end of January. And I was asked to be on the original board of directors uh, when it was formed in 20 years ago. And we were small. We had about 300 people at our first conference. Um, we was that one in Jacksonville? Did you have like no, the first one originally in Jacksonville? No, no I thought no, I went to one in Jacksonville. You did. Back. We've had a couple in Jacksonville okay. there on the river, but we had uh, the first one was down here off of 436 at the Renaissance, and I think the second one was at the uh, Marriott down by the airport. But we we increased and had more people, and then we started offering continued ed credits, which was was a real draw for adjusters because that just had become law here in Florida. Other states had them, and we also got those approved. We also got them for contractors and for, for, for the legal community. And we had different breakout sessions. Besides having, you know, general sessions, we had breakout sessions. And a couple years into it, Janet Brown, who is truly the founder of, of Windstorm, uh, said that she'd like to have a umpire certification class because when she went to have a umpire approved by the court, there was nothing to show that this umpire... Level of competency. Well, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. And so we started the the umpire certification, and I was instrumental in in, in forming the the curriculum and and putting it together. And as I said, I've been on every faculty that's ever taught the class. And we have... uh, a code of ethics, and now it's a rules for ethical behavior, is what it's called. And we have that now. We've developed it for the for appraisers now. I like codes of ethics. Do you feel that people really aspire to fulfilling the, the obligation? To, to is there any uh, any enforcement if somebody were to be caught red-handed doing something unethical? There is. Um, we have a, a a complaint system that if you violate any of the rules for ethical behavior, that they can file a complaint with wind. It'll be investigated and appropriate action will be taken. Now, we're not going to put anybody in jail or cut off anybody's mm-hmm. hands or anything like that, but we may rescind their, 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 certification. their certification or something like that or send them a censor letter or something like that. But uh, it's it's there. Where do you see this going in the way that there's been some talk and Ed has a question for you that he's uh, wanted to ask you. Do you want to go ahead and throw your question in at Wait, this are point? Are you speaking about the one about legislative uh, and with some public adjusters or another one? Uh, one of the topics that have, that have come up frequently in, in social media and amongst peers that I speak with is there are a certain segment of public insurance adjusters in Florida that feel the most recent legislation passed last, I believe it was put into effect on July 1st takes away that 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 the uh, 
working for the benefit of the consumer, of the insured, inherently means that it needs to be done by a public insurance adjuster. Now, here we are six months after that that bill is passed, and I have not heard of anybody being cited or indicted for that. Being Originally, there was some talk about you have you would have to hold a public adjuster's license or some type of adjuster license in the state of Florida in order to act as an appraiser. Uh, have you have you heard that? Well, let me expand a little bit. In the past, there's been so many there's been a lot of talk about having licensure for both appraisers and umpires. Now, I got to tell you my opinion on this, which may differ from anybody else's. First of all, if an insurance company doesn't know who they're picking for their appraiser, God bless them. You know, why are they playing in this field? Okay. Now, the ones I worry about is Mr. and Mrs. Homeowner, who has somebody come up there and sell them a bill of goods and and they become their appraiser. Right. I do worry about that. And I think that was probably what the legislature legislature was was looking at in this particular case. I really don't worry about umpires because umpires are chosen either by the court or by the two appraisers. Right. 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 Exactly. They're there to resolve the differences. Exactly. I, I like that an umpire can be the mitigating force. What no matter what theoretical alleged uh, shenanigans may or may not have gone on. The umpire's there to mitigate that. Exactly. And 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 that's why you need to know your umpire. Right. Now, if, uh, how would you, so we have people listening that are either adjusters or contractors. They're interested in appraisal. They want to learn about the appraisal and umpire process. Uh, what would you say to somebody who is in the middle of Kansas and they are not versed in appraisal, but they're thrust into the appraisal process for one reason or another, how would they go about even trying to select other than just accepting someone on the umpire list for that's the carrier rep, uh, the carrier appraiser gives them? I suggest that, that we are all professionals and as professionals, we should talk with our peers. If, for example, you, Neil, were recommended to me as an umpire and put on somebody's list. I would call everybody I know and say, do you know Neil? Tell me about him. What does he know? How fair is he? How prompt is he? What's his experience? You know, I would call you and vet you. I got to tell you something. It amazes me the amount of times that I'm not even vetted. I received an appraisal the other day. And the location of the loss is halfway between here and my house. The street is on a house that my parents almost bought a house when we moved here 55 years ago. You know, I'm active in my in this community. I've lived in it, active in my church. You know, I may not I don't recognize that person's name, but that doesn't mean that they don't recognize mine. And I keep saying, you know. Check these things out, you know, mm-hmm. check them out. Vet, vet, vet your umpire, spend okay. some time. So when you expect a, like we have a thing where normally people will send a list. Sometimes 14 names will be in a list. Sometimes it's as little as three to exactly. start off. And we recommend three. You can always send another three if you can't come to uh, an agreement. Uh, who's, who's 
responsibility is it to collect the CVs or resumes of the people you're nominating as an appraisal? Or do you just expect them to put a name and a phone number down and then it's buyer beware and you go ahead and vet the person yourself? Yeah, I, I, I think the other appraiser should vet him. But I'm going to tell you, every once in a while you find a situation, Neil, that you would 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 put down the name of your son-in-law, you know? Son-in-law has a different last name. Who would have ever thunk it, you know, uh-huh. as they say in the South? <laughs> you know, it, it, it you, you find some people, and that, and that to me is criminal. And I, I feel it, that you're, you've been around long enough. Do you actually create any kind of a database on past experiences with uh, previous appraisers and uh, assigned umpires? To, or is it just all on the top of your head? You, this this no, son, no, no. this alleged son, that's a similar situation. You know, I, I can. Body of a buddy. Yes. and And... You know, I I know people exactly. You know, I know people. You know, I always give the example. My son-in-law works for Travelers. You know, I could get a Travelers file with his name on it. You would never know it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, the person has to have enough enough integrity to to, to, to say, hey, disclose yeah, exactly. Right, and we always preach that in our. You in know, our... the absolutely the absolutely worst outcome in an appraisal is to have it overturned. When an appraisal is overturned, people have spent a lot of money and time, and it's for not, and it's got to go all over again. And I think that's horrendous, just for the reasons that you just said. And two things, the biggest two words that I took out of last year, I was in class with you at the Windstorm Network, and the two things that I took away the most, if I just had it pinpointed down to those items, transparency and disclosure. That's right. And, 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 and which comes down to integrity. And and the umpire needs to do everything he can to make that appraisal bulletproof. You know, he's need he needs to disclose. Um, you know, every once in a while things pop up midstream. Um, an appraisal I'm doing now said that the uh, it, it was sent to me as a Liberty Mutual case. Well, all of a sudden as you start getting back into it, and all of a sudden copy of uh, 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 the policy comes with the appraisal provision, which I asked him to send me, it says, oh, um, uh, Ohio Casualty. Well, Ohio Casualty was bought by Liberty Mutual at some time. Some people may or may not have known that, and maybe there's some connection there. So I have another question for you. And, and sometimes we get into things, and if you don't have a good answer, that's fine. How do you feel about situations where someone may enter into appraisal and the umpire, some people will make claims that the umpire overstepped their bounds, overstepped their reach, their authority, and actually rendered a decision that was lower than what the original person started out with from one side or the other. Uh, and, And now you're in a situation where everyone's looking around saying, we went to appraisal and we didn't kind of have a ceiling or a floor in mind of where we are in agreement up until this point for this amount of money. And then the umpire takes everything into consideration and renders an award and says, here you go. And, and it's throw, X number of dollars less than, than what the lowest. And I can throw part two onto that also. It's in the same genre. In the most typical appraisal clauses, the two appraisers are supposed to bring their differences to the umpire. So that's basically, I think you would see what I'm going out there when only the differences are submitted to the umpire, where is the authority by discretion then? Yes. And, and and let me tell you that I think you, you hit the nail on the head. 
You're only supposed to determine differences. Now, I'll tell you something. It would be much easier if the appraisers would come to you as the policy states with their differences. Right. But, you know, they, they, they never don't. do. They, they, you're they you're the referee. You're the school, the, the referee, uh, like, or you're the uh, mon hall monitor. And sometimes you have bad enough if it gets personal between the two of just putting one in one corner and one in the other and saying, okay, what can we agree on, guys? It's exactly. Work from here. And, and, that's, and, and that's it. And, and, and I would like to make two comments on that. First one is an appraise, an umpire almost has to act as a mediator to find out where people agree so he can find out where they disagree. Okay, that's one. The second one is you're there to come up with the right number. Okay, and if both appraisers put down that there was four bedrooms and there's only three bedrooms because, and this can easily happen, one errors can uh, be made. Errors can be made. You take an ESX cop, uh, I, I take the estimate of one, he sends the ESX over to the other one. Now they're working off the, the same. same. Yeah. It is so easy to make it. If something like that happens and I'm involved and I notice it, I'll say, where was that fourth bedroom? Oh. And for the audience that's listening. Why, 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 why do we have ceiling fans in the bathroom? For the audience members that are listening that do not use Xactimate, which I hope is pretty rare nowadays. Uh, an ESX is the file format that Xactimate is, is done in behind the scenes. So you can transfer the data from one estimate to another person, and they can re-manipulate it and, and reconfigure the, the estimate from that based on that data, Start, it's not, not starting from scratch again. And just wanted to bring it to, there's not everybody, most everybody, but not everybody. It's, you, said it, you said it perfectly. And so the next thing is, where do you see appraisal going? Where is appraisal headed? Are we headed for rocky waters? Do you feel that there's going to be someone coming into the industry that's going to put some guidelines down? Are the carriers just going to say, this is getting out of hand and there's too many, uh, I won't say backroom deals, but too many appraisal clubs popping up well, around the, the country? One of the discussions that we have had, that, and it's a part of my own fear about what might be occurring in this industry, is that this quote-unquote gamesmanship that's been portrayed in articles that some carriers and other other uh, members elsewhere they want to they want to put some rules in there, and all of a sudden it's going to become legislated. Now it takes it out of the original intent of the New York Fire Policy, the 165 line fire policy. And as a reference, we're talking about maybe the TWIA, the Texas Wind, uh, requiring that umpires be selected from the American Arbitration Association list exclusively, so that puts people who are very knowledgeable, such as yourself. If you're not on the AAA list, uh, then you you're are not excluded. eligible to be a umpire in a claim involving something like that. Yeah, uh, I, I, I don't see the point in it. You know, we're here to do the best job as we can for the process. We have to honor the process. You can have all the legislation that you want. And, you know, you, you need to have three good people on the panel to determine the damages. Uh, I don't know where it's going in the future here. We have all been around to see cyclical actions in the insurance industry, the pendulum sweeping. After the 2004, 04 and 05 session, many companies took appraisal out of the policies, thought it was getting, you know, they were getting the raw, raw side of it. And then guess what? They found out more litigation, and and it found Costlier. out it was yes, and now they now it's swung back, 
and you th do I think it'll swing again? If life repeats itself, it does. That's it, going to. Are you guys expecting a uh, record turnout here for Windstorm Conference? Oh, we certainly up? hope so. You know, it's beautiful 80 degrees outside today, and I, a lot of people like you all like to come down from up north and and uh, get away from the ice and snow. And we're glad to have you and welcoming you. And this is out near Disney, so bring your families, and, and everybody will have a good time. Well, I, I look forward that. to seeing everybody. One thing that I recommend strongly to anybody, and it doesn't matter. There's no partisanship for any one organization. If somebody has the opportunity to get educated at more than one venue, I say go for it. If you've got the time and the funds, it's to your benefit. If you, know, you take this as a professional, you better darn well take it seriously. I, I, I'm not a member of, but I've spoken to FAPIA and Florida Association of Public Insurance Adjusters. Excellent organization, but they have one view. I've been to Orlando Claims Association and I've been to FACAP, and they have another view. And, you know, WIND is the only organization that I know that has everybody there. They have people from the policyholder side and from the insurance company side, both attorneys, and the marching orders are be respectful of the other people's opinion. And, you know, that's normally where the truth lies is somewhere in the middle. I remember years ago being in a, uh, a windstorm breakout uh, for a uh... – uh, industry standard roofing damage assessment group uh, that I won't mention, but they, uh, so we were in there and there was, I wouldn't say a fist fight, but we, we had some people that were pretty strongly voicing their opinion on one side versus the other. Sure. And I loved it. Uh, not to see like, you know, the, the, the Jerry Springer uh, antics, but the fact that it, it, you had both sides represented at least. And uh, someone would throw out a comment and another person would throw out a comment. And the instructor, I felt bad for the person because they were just trying to keep order and I'm much like an umpire. And they were just trying to keep order and both sides were going bantering back and forth with each other. Neil, it's just like a Miller Lite beer. Some say it tastes great. Some say <laughs> it's less filling. It's both. I love it. Okay. So... Mr. John Vopel, thank you very much. The third, I should say. Thank you very much for appearing on the show. And if you want more information on Windstorm Conference, you can just type in Windstorm uh, in your browser and search away. And there is a conference coming up the end of January. What are the dates on that, John? I believe it's the 24th through the 30th of January. And it'll be held at a beautiful Disney resort in Orlando. Orlando Palace down in, near Disney. Right. And uh, from past experience, I would recommend booking a, play, uh, a room at the grounds right there rather than try to go for one-third the price elsewhere because that 20 minutes, according to the maps, takes about an hour and a half to get there. And <laughs> what you're going to save on uh, air, uh, room fees, you're going to make up with uh, travel fees and taxis and Ubers and things like that. Plus, how much is your time worth? It's better just to go ahead and stay at the resort, enjoy yourself, and do some socializing with it right at, uh, at the breakout sessions and after the after the formal conference training. Right. Okay, Mr. Well, Bopel, thank I, you very much. You're welcome. I'd also like to point out, too, before we do close up, myself and Neil have done some presentations, mostly in the Chicago area. Uh, but we've got some other things coming up. One that's going to be coming up in Kansas City, Missouri. <laughs> in telling, informing people about the appraisal process, the amount of uh, redundancy of wrong advice that is out there. It's, it's unbelievable, but it's believable because it's unbelievable. And it's just it's on a daily basis. Okay. And that's what we've been attempting to do in the Midwest. We're both from Chicago. And when the day that we left, there was uh, snow falling and cars skidding off the highway. And that was just a few days ago. Now we're in 85 degrees. Uh, you're very fortunate to be in Florida because they have a lot of 
laws, a lot of building codes even, to tell you when you get reach this threshold, this is what you have to do. You're committed to doing this. I wish all states had you know such presence of mind to think in advance like that. Okay. Well, with that, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, I'm Neil McLaughlin, one half of the appraisal guys. And Ed, say goodbye. Good night, everybody. All right.